The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everybody. This foggy, overcast San Francisco morning. This morning, we are here with the home team. That is to say, we have no guest musicians, but we have our fabulous choir back up in the loft. Yay, choir in the loft. Woo! <laughs> Mark's doing his famous dance. If you haven't seen his famous YouTube video, we'll link you to it next week in the flame. Enrico Odelaine, Bill Gans on piano. I'm lucky to have with me Wonder Dave and Sam, who you'll hear from later, and Nancy Hardys, who's skipping singing in the choir to be up front this morning, and all of you, and all of the folks in live stream. It's lovely for all of us to be together. I had a whole different service plan for this morning, but in kind of listening to what felt like it was this rising kind of voice or theme, um, put that aside largely, though it certainly informed today. And so you're going to enter with me into the rumble of sitting with what I think I've been hearing and feeling and seeing. Um, and part of that has informed my desire that we start worship today with um, our body prayer, which we do occasionally. And the invitation for that, if you haven't done it before, is to do whatever your body wants. So. If you are able to stand comfortably, that is a good way to do it. But if you're not, stay seated. Um, move your arms or body in any way that, you, that they allow and feel comfortable doing. It's just a way to not pretend we're just a brain in a vat. And our spiritual life involves all of our senses and a connection to ourself and all the wisdom of this, this body that is not just a vehicle. And of course, if you have your own body practice or just would prefer to sit in silence, worship is for you. So do, do whatever you need to and can do. So what we do is we start, and I'll walk us through once with explanation and then once with less explanation and then once in silence. So you start with your hands pressed at the heart center. And maybe give yourself a little bit of a stance so you don't teeter over. And we press our hands up toward the roof, toward the heavens, eyes following our hands in a gesture of taking in the expanse, opening our arms to all that is in this universe, all the blessings of our lives. And if you hold your arms open, you can feel how they start to get heavy from all the gifts of this life. Then turn your hands over and pull them through as if you're running your fingers through all the blessings and opportunities of this day. And a few are going to stay caught in your palms and between your fingers. Take those with you and press them into your chest and hold them there. The ones you'll take with you into this day. And having done that, I invite you to open your hands out in this gesture of offering, kind of a vulnerable gesture of offering ourselves to the world. And then back to heart center. And then up toward the expanse of sky and stars. Arms open to the fullness of the universe and life. Hands turn to run through the pearls and offerings of this day, gathering some of this day and its gifts and pressing it into us as our experience and wisdom making. And then offering ourselves as we are 
gorgeous and full to the world. And then once again in prayer pose. So let's do that again in silence. blessings. We light our blue candle as we have for two years or more now in honor of all of those, not just those here in body, but those here in spirit with us. And we begin our worship in the same spirit of this morning of deep listening, which I hope is the spirit that informs this whole service, to hymn number 90 from all the fret and fever of the day. And I probably had you sit down too soon because if you feel like standing and letting your body and lungs expand in song, you may rise again, but you may also remain seated. Do whatever body and spirit your own need. But let's sing together our first We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. If this is your first time joining us with live stream, welcome. I hope you got a copy of the order of service, which is available in the description of the live stream so you can follow along throughout. And please, if you want to get the links any of you to this service each week um, to make it easier for you to find all the things you need to participate remotely. Just fill out the connections form and you will receive it. We'll gather for coffee hour outside, bundle up here in person, and we'll have a Zoom coffee hour for those of you who are on our live stream. Also, as always, I invite folks to look at the amazing array of opportunities for deepening, for 
questioning for service and action that are available to everybody here, um, and some of them listed, a lot of them listed in your order of service, but come out in our weekly flame and now our monthly flame plus, which is our new morphed version of the monthly newsletter. I did want to make space for three um, special announcements. First, um, on behalf of the women's group, to remind folks that there is a rally nationwide at noon on Saturday, April 9th. It's sponsored by Rise Up for Abortion Rights. It's going to take place at Sproul Plaza at the UC Berkeley campus. The group will be coordinating, that is our own nascent UUSF women's group is going to be coordinating transportation to that event for those who need it. And the next two Sundays, they are going to be offering bandanas, green bandanas, for those who are going to come to the march to wear. The coordinator is Lori Lai, and there are facilitators, Julia Wald and Judy Strachan and Veronica Masterson and Robin Larson, who are going to help recruit as many of us as are able to to join. As we all know, like we needed this sort of work right now in our lives, reproductive rights are a human right that's being rolled back. Their protection is under serious threat with all of the ramifications of that which we know from the history of this nation around reproductive rights. So Robin, Robin, where are you? Can you, are you in the sanctuary? Not here. Not here. Okay. Well. Um, is anyone going to be out there answering questions? Dolores, uh, are, are, is that you in the back, Robin? I have such... Okay. Okay, so great, you can get your bandana. Just look for the green bandana at Coffee Hour and you'll find the source of green bandanas. Wonderful, thank you. I want to invite up next Richard Davis to tell us about our Seder and then Wonder Dave and um, Sam, why don't you come over here and <laughs> do your announcement. Oh, uh, you, oh, all right. Hello everyone, uh, this is a, a brief announcement. You can find it in the uh, order of service. So those of you who are here can find it very quickly. It's the fourth one down. Um, we are finally, able to do our communal Seder again this year. It will be on April 22nd, which is the second Shabbos, uh, Friday of the Seder this year. Um, the only small silver lining of this pandemic has been that it's given us um, both uh, uh, Mia Shackelford and myself time to really fine tune and this new Haggadah that we'll be using. And I think you will find it a really lovely one, particularly because it begins to finally incorporate the feminine in as well. Um, to sign up, uh, for those of you out there in the ether who I can't see, um, you will look and uh, be able to do so. Um, sign up on online. And for those of you here, there's also a sign up. Um, Eric has kindly put down his email to ask questions, which I'm very happy about, because it means I don't have to do it. So um, I hope you will come this year. I think it will be a really beautiful and wonderful time for everyone. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam. And I'm Dave. Uh, and we are your pledge drive chairs for this year, uh, since we are almost. <laughs> Thank you. 
Uh, you're too kind. Since we're almost done with Pledge Drive uh, Month. We're almost done? We're almost done, I oh. know. But, but since we're almost done, we wanted to give you an update on how things are going. Uh, we have raised so far uh, $494,010 uh, out of our $750,000 goal. Uh, many of you kept your pledges at the same level last year or only reduced your pledges by a little bit. Uh, and some of you were even able to increase your pledges. We know that you've been digging deep and doing what you can to help support this community and the work that we do, and we cannot thank you enough for it. Thank you. But we're not there yet. Right now, we've had 112 households pledge, but that still leaves 110 more uh, to pledge. As a reminder, all members must either pledge or if your financial circumstances don't allow for it, uh, get a pledge waiver. And we really do need 100% participation. As we're going through this forest, not everybody can come with the newest gear from REI, but everybody can do what they can. And that's what we need from you all. Uh, and do not get me wrong when I say this thing I'm about to say. Uh, uh, we appreciate our biggest donors, but as I've gone through and kind of learned more about the church's finances in this process, it's been inspiring for me to see that it's not just a few people writing a check that makes our budget function, but there really is like a range of different amounts. Some people give just a couple hundred dollars or 50, just giving what they can is appreciated. And last year I learned as we were nearing the finish line, Everyone in chipping us, uh, chipping in what they can, those small donations are what push us to the edge. So if you haven't been able to give yet, please do so. Um, I also love procrastinating, so I get it. It's fine. <laughs> uh, 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 and everybody chipping in is really what we need this year. Uh, as we try to navigate our way through COVID, through rental changes, through new ministers, through new social justice work, and through so much more, everything in our budget is truly important and we need your pledges in order to follow through on it. Uh, and also, we need you to get them in soon so that we don't have to make a bunch of phone calls to y'all. You can go to uusf.org pledge, you can mail a letter that you received, or you can find Dave and me after the service to fill out a form. But I am sure the updated you are most interested in is who won the stay at Marty Vanderlyn's Tahoe home. Eh? Eh? Prizes, everyone loves prizes. So without further ado, the winner is me, it's me, I won, I'm the winner. I, I've always wanted to go skiing. Okay, Dave. okay, it's, it's uh, do you wanna come with? Is that, uh, <laughs> so we're going but, for? But for real, uh, can I get a drum roll from everybody uh, before we announce our actual winner? The winner of the three night stay at Marty Vanderland's Tahoe home is Calvin Ducet. Yay, congratulations Woo! Calvin. Calvin Ducet. Oh, uh, so congratulations, uh, and we'll let you all coordinate uh, the logistics with each other. And uh, if you need each other's emails, you can hit me and Dave up. All right, Sam and I will be hanging around after service if you still need to get your pledge in. Uh, or if you pledged online and you want to pick up a succulent and post a leaf on the billboard, we've got them out in the courtyard. Uh, and that is all we have for you this morning. We will let, get you, let, we will let you get back to your regularly scheduled worship. Thank you. <laughs> Let's take a minute to just greet the people right close to you, and then we'll sing and center back with our meditation on breathing. So let's greet one another.
And now, please join me in our covenant and doxology. The words are in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. Recognizing that there is human struggle and suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong this morning in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. First, we ring our gong in recognition of those who are at our borders, those who are in detention camps, our refugees and asylum seekers here and everywhere, immigrants and even citizens of this nation for whom home is a dream and not a reality, who cry out for a welcome and a chance to make a life that is strong and rooted and where they know they belong. We ring our gong additionally holding in our hearts all those who have lost their lives this week to COVID-19. Three, excuse me, 30,361 people have died around the globe just this week from the virus and 4,180 in the United States alone. And finally, we ring our gong this morning for the people of Ukraine in solidarity with them, in recognition of all the life lost and all the ways life is lost and changed in that part of our world in hopes to end bloodshed and restore peace and that they may retain their sovereignty. For all these losses and those not spoken in this hour, we hold in our hearts. And we recommit in this coming week to ease the tide of human suffering, howsoever we can.
Because the world is noisy and busy, we invite and make space for quiet and calm. Because silence alone is different than shared silence, we make space to hold silence together. Because we live in a world where we are too often judged by what we get done or don't, we create time to cease doing and put expectations aside and be present to simple being. If you will then, I invite you to join in a time of shared silence. Invite us to breathe into it. Settle our breath into our bodies. our bodies into the pew or chair or couch where we find ourselves. Feel the earth beneath our feet. Let's join in a minute or two of shared silence, present to what we find there.
May we re-enter this time and space together, carrying the anchor of breath and the power of pure presence with us. Good morning. <laughs> I'm Nancy Hardys, and I love this church. I love the music and for the opportunity to sing in the choir as I feel most spiritually connected through music. Thank you, Mark. I love the intellectual stimulation I've received from all our ministers, 
that has challenged me to grow. I've learned so much and for the opportunity to serve by teaching Sunday school, serving on several committees, and being a part of this beloved community in this beautiful space. During these past two years of uncertainty, the church has been an anchor for me. The one thing I could count on was our service over YouTube and my parakeet belting out chirps when I sang along. He loves the organ, Reiko. He especially belts out the doxology. <laughs> Love is the spirit of this church. We are all recipients of Vanessa's and Allison's love that shines from them. But I want to tell you about a time that the church's spirit especially resonated for me. Some years ago, I lost my nursing position due to a traumatic brain injury that I sustained in a car accident and from which the doctors told me that I'd never be an RN again. I showed them, though. But while I was out of work, I was also recovering from a back injury. All this while my dear mother that I had taken care of was dying and died of Alzheimer's disease. It was a perfect storm, and I became severely depressed and felt so unworthy of love. I was loved back into feeling worthy again in healing by our intern at the time, Mary Gans, and by Margot and Linda Harris, a born lay minister. This church wrapped its arms around me every week, and little by little, I healed and I loved again. I remember thinking that even if you lose some IQ, you don't need to lose love cue. Please pledge generously to the church that wraps its arms around us all. Thank you. Oh, we have this funny thing now where we have offering and we don't have offering because we're not passing the plates and I can't quite make sense of it. So we're gonna have the offertory music and those of you at home, if it's timely, can make your offering. Those of you here, if you want to, can make an offering as you leave for the works and ministries of the congregation. But I think what I'd like to hold up most is that if your offering is your pledge that you've already handed in, you've given it, and we're grateful today, and there's cake in the courtyard for all of us to celebrate that. And if you haven't yet made it, if you can make it today so that we can start to pull this to an, you know, the, the final bits of a close. That would be the biggest offering, and we would be grateful. Thank you.
God, that was gorgeous. Felt like this was a Sunday we needed to light candles. And I can tell it was the right thing because you've all been coming forward too. And we thank Leland for getting everything sparkling and ready as he did this week to help me out. As human beings, we light candles ritually and for all kinds of reasons. We light them against the darkness, literally and figuratively. We light them as reminders of people that we've lost, but whose flame stays lit within us. We light them for things that we, causes that we hope will catch fire in the world, but feel precarious. We light candles at the table, saying grace sometimes as a way to mark all that we are grateful for, including the people around the table sometimes. We light them sometimes because there's so much inside us that we need some way to hold it in the world ritually. This morning, I want all of you, if you are carrying something inside, full to overflowing, as I think a lot of us are these days, for you to come and light a candle. And if you've already lit one and you want to come back, you can. And I want you just to say the feeling that you lit it for. I don't want much more than that. I think when we're full to overflowing, the stump speech that feels good to us might not feel good to other people. But naming the feelings we're all holding, I think, is powerful. That's carrying us or pushing us or holding us captive. And there are so many mad, sad, glad, as Brene Brown says, regret, hope, fear, anxiety, frustration, optimism, invisibility, security, anger, betrayed, abandoned, adored, adoring, longing, confused, to name just a few. So I'm going to bring, and if there are any of you too, I want to recognize who cannot get up and would prefer to just raise your hand, we will light a candle for you. I also realize candles are hard to blow out with your mask. So I'm gonna take one of the candle holders and make it a repository for a little water. Oh yeah, that's true, we'll just do this for now. Whoops, full to overflowing, just like I said. Anxiety.
Overwhelm. The loss of my brother. Coming home. I already lit candles for compassion and love. Remembrance. For the future of the young people during their future life because of what's happened now. For my sister comforting her very sick daughter. Tension. Hope. Hope. Resolution. Here's water. Just put it right there. For Jeannie's love. Don't burn yourself. Yeah. Here's water right here. Yeah. Concern and hope. Gratitude. Love. Reverend Rob Eller Isaacs. Uncertainty. Hopefulness. 
for my mother and my father. Inner peace and connection. Belief. That's Jalen Moscow. My sister, Winnell. And we light one last candle for all the feelings, all the people, all the places that are in our hearts that remained unnamed in this time.
On April 19th, 2021, the New York Times published an article that was written by Adam Grant titled, There's a name for the blah you're feeling. It's called languishing. Don't you remember that article? It was an instant conversation topic in my circles. It named something that many of us had been feeling but couldn't quite put a handle on. Grant writes, at first I didn't recognize the symptoms that we all had in common. Instead of bouncing out of bed at 6 a.m., I was lying until 7, playing words with friends. It wasn't burnout. We still had energy. It wasn't depression. We didn't feel hopeless. We just felt somewhat joyless and aimless. It turns out there's a name for that, languishing. Putting a name to our emotions, as he did, it was powerful. Brene Brown, the shame expert and author of so many best-selling books, is the author of a new book called Atlas of the Heart. She had a study years ago, asked people in it to name whatever emotions they could, and most people, when asked to name as many emotions as they could, could only name three. <laughs> Angry, happy, and sad, or mad, sad, and glad, as she likes to say. Languishing wasn't a feeling that most of us had a name for in April of 2019, but when Adam Grant wrote about it, we knew of what he spoke. And somehow, putting a name on our emotions, it made them easier to bear and navigate. Brene Brown says that's pretty common. Language is our portal to meaning-making, she writes, to connection, healing, learning, and self-awareness. When we don't have the language to talk about what we're experiencing, our ability to make sense of what's happening and share it with others is severely limited. Without accurate language, we struggle to get the help we need. We don't always regulate or manage our emotions and experiences. Language shows us that naming an experience doesn't give the experience more power, she writes, as we often fear it does. It gives us the power of understanding and meaning. Does that make sense to you? She also says that for many of us, maybe most of us, if the feeling that we are having is not a good one, not one we like, one of pain and, or vulnerability often, that we will try to outrun it or outsmart it. We can also try and numb it by eating and shopping and drinking and working and fighting and sleeping our way to distraction or numbness. I think sometimes when we are full up of a feeling or feelings that we aren't naming and sitting knee to knee with and breathing through and listening to and befriending and making meaning of it, we sometimes step into the world in all kinds of ways that aren't helpful. Sideways energy comes out. We get really mad at City Hall for a parking lot and go on a rampage. 
We decide our job is unacceptable in some regard and needs immediate change and quit. Or we just tag what we're feeling to some person or some cause or some wrong in the world. Not that that thing isn't wrong or that person hasn't wronged us, but, but we give it an energy that's disproportionate to what it's done or what it threatens. But most of all, in the space of all of that, what it is that we haven't named, it eats us up inside, whatever feeling or feelings it is that are hard and that we have too much of. They keep us teetering, vibrating. It struck me recently the way a plane vibrates when the turbulence is so much that you actually wonder in the flight if the plane will hold up to the shaking. Well, over the last couple weeks, I've been feeling that around. And at first I thought it was just one person or another or just a piece of me, but then it just started to come up everywhere. And even more and more explicitly, people naming something like this sense of fullness to overflowing or teetering and the vibration energy of the universe seemed super high. And it's infectious, you know. If you weren't already feeling it, you certainly would be. This week in a conversation with a few members, Athena Papadakos said something almost an aside in the conversation that I jumped on at the end of the call. It was late and it was Zoom, you know, our favorite thing to stay on longer. And we were all tired, but I asked Athena to stay on and she stayed on another hour with me. You said something, I said to her, about people being at the edge, at the brink. Athena, you should know, is not just one of our people who decorates our flowers periodically as part of our flower team, but she's also a therapist. I believe she supervised all the employee care for PSE&G employees during the wildfires a couple years ago. You can imagine the scary, unsettling, traumatic experiences she was ministering to through her practice. I told her that I'd been feeling the same way in the world, feeling that same sense and hearing that same sense of all of us and people in my life at the brink, and how it now was clear to me it wasn't just one set of circumstances or another, it was like this tide rising and it wasn't just lapping on my feet and it was rising to ankles and above and people were saying things with increasing frequency like I'm at my limit or I can't hold anymore or it's too much for me, that there was this teetering, people feeling like they were near the edge, that we were. What is going on? Well, in the fall, in the fall when I felt like there was something to name, it was this exhaustion. That's 
That's what it seemed to be. People leaving their jobs because they were just too tired. They needed some rest. Now I hear of people leaving their jobs in anger or conflict, of fireworks, of finger pointing. In the fall, families were tired, and rightly so, and ready to have their kids back in school and a little bit more space. And now families are hurting. And kids are, well, it's not clear what's going on, but they're in pain and they're struggling. In the fall, I felt like this energy that came up when we started church again was, well, it was about getting things done, but I felt like it was out of this sense of like all the lost time that we had. And now I feel like the energy asking us to get things done is this desire to fix things, to make the pain of those things go away, almost like a panic level intensity, as if I think we falsely believe because we haven't thought about it that if we fix that thing, that this thing inside us that's vibrating too fast will go away. And it's collective, I think. So when Athena said what she said, one little innocent remark <laughs> dropped in a Zoom call, I jumped on it and she ate dinner on Zoom late at night while I took notes and she talked. And I asked her, what do you think it is, this people at the brink, on the edge? And her first answer, grief. We've lost a million people in the United States, she said. I'm just talking out of the top of my head, she said, but it was great talking out of the top of her head. And we haven't had any significant act of collective grieving. Not a national day of mourning. The night before the inauguration, she said, there was some nod to it. To heal, we must remember, Biden said, but then the losses were only 400,000. And actually, to heal, it's not just enough to remember, we have to mourn. And our grief, the grief we need to do, it's not just for the 600,000 people more we have lost in the United States alone, it's for the world that we have watched unfold and unravel. It's for that time that we have lost, that we realize when we finally see our loved ones again is completely lost. It's the birthday parties we didn't attend. It's the recitals we didn't get to go to. It's the family reunions we didn't get to be part of. It's the funerals that couldn't happen. My daughter didn't get to visit her grandmother before her grandmother passed away or attend the funeral. Those rituals of closure and time and mourning and having your people around you in them, they are irreplaceable for the healing that needs to happen. Many of us couldn't go to hospital rooms when people were suffering. Our relationships got stale. Relationships, those places where we go when we're stressed to connect that make us feel safe and whole and remind us that when all the ups and downs life of life go away, there are these people we love who don't care if we've lost a few IQ points, as we all do constantly. 
We lost all those chances to hug or break bread and all that happens that feeds us. We were like people in these prison cells. Some of us in solitary confinement and we haven't grieved any of that, not together, not spaciously. America is an optimistic nation, but it's kind of a forced and false optimism often, isn't it? I mean, in, maybe in most ways. I mean, we say how great we are, but we don't tell the true history or grieve the cost of the making of this nation and the grotesque violence that's part of the story and the losses, the torturous, cruel, inhumane pieces of our story, right? <laughs> And it's a nation of immigrants and slaves who are struggling to survive and Native American people struggling to protect their land and their culture and their people. Where I think more often than not, folks just had to press on and make it work. And the Puritan strength got us through, some of us some of our ancestors. But those Puritan virtues, that endurance that gets us through, it always comes at a price, right? Of tenderness and connection. And it's not good for us wherever we <laughs> draw that way to make it through hard times. It's not serving us there are studies that literally show how it's bad for our health, mental and physical, how it makes us brittle, not stronger. Judy Strachan said at a staff meeting this week, normally you go through something hard and you say, when I am through this, when I get through this, I will take time to heal. But let's be honest, she said there hasn't been time to heal before the next thing happens. So I think what we're experiencing is just this need, this cry, now a scream to make time for healing. And it seems almost impossible to ask to make that time when trans kids in Texas are in danger when our nuclear, our nuclear, nuclear war is a threat, when our reproductive rights are under attack, to name just a few of the newest things that have come to threaten us, let alone the existential threats and the racial reckoning work that is still urgent. But we need to make time to heal. The book I was going to preach on this week, Edgar Villanueva, The um, Decolonizing Wealth, he actually talks about grieving as the first step toward that work, grieving as a core skill that we all need to develop to do the work of healing. So if you aren't inclined to give yourself space to grieve in general, Maybe sometime we can talk about how he thinks and why he thinks the work is necessary for cultural transformation. 
Athena thought, she said, when I asked her what we do with the sense of overwhelm and exhaustion and people to the brink and the need to grieve what we do. She said she thinks part of the work right now is simply that we just need to focus and double down on self-care. Which can be especially hard when we feel overwhelmed, but it's pretty basic. She said, I always tell my clients, when the going gets tough, the tough exercise more. (laughs) Eat well, she said, prioritize sleep, take vitamin D, listen to your body, journal, pray, walk, connect with friends, make time for calm, make time for quiet, ask for what you need, pay attention to what you feel, try and put a name to it, give yourself what you need. Focus on your immediate circle of influence on an especially overwhelming day. John Kabat-Zinn says, mindful play is important when we feel overwhelmed, which is to say, make space for joy, even when the world is falling apart or you feel like you are, especially when you feel like you're falling apart and the world is because not because you and I are naive, because we're not, but because that joy is the fuel for aliveness, and we need aliveness if we are going to heal the world in all the ways that we need to or tend to all the people we love in all the ways that they are struggling, as some of you named in your candles this morning. We cannot save what we do not savor. We just don't have the juice to do it. But I think too many of us are at the edge these days, and maybe the people who couldn't even make it to worship are in the worst place possible. So if you run into people in the world who seem vibrating so that the plane might burst apart in the turbulence of life, will you be kind to them? Make space for them? because it's showing up everywhere. It's what's going on. And it's a cry for a little space for healing and self-love from a lot of grief and hurt that we have endured. spirit of life that runs through us from hand to hand, life to life. May we heed our body and spirit's invitations to be kind to ourselves and to one another without fear May we lean into and nurture the bruised and hurting places inside us and trust that we will come home to ourselves and to life restored to love and to dance another gorgeous human day. Life restored for all the good work we feel called to do. Spirit of life, move through us for healing, give us space 
and may we give ourselves the same. Amen. I know it's a little dangerous, but why don't we try and join hands? You can stand a good six feet apart joining hands. If you don't want to, if you're nervous about it, just put your arms across your chest. Everybody will understand. It reminds us of some of what we missed. And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice, be glad in it. Amen.